darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize your neighborhood. And whosoever <laughs> shall be found. Just the whole the song. Just do the do whole, the whole song, song, Eric. Just start over. <laughs> Can you also do and face dance? the hounds of hell? Yeah, it's a great segue, though, into the Catalan chapter, right? Since we know what's coming just a few chapters. Or the Samwell away. chapter, really. The villainous laughter is to welcome Kate back to the show because uh, in her wake, she brings death and destruction and uh, mm-hmm. and beauty also, Kate. Thank you. So, guys, I'm really happy, number one, because all four of us are back it's been a couple of weeks. You know, we, we, we were in different corners of the country a couple of weeks ago, right? It was just me and Kate and it was you and Eric, mm-hmm. Zach. Mm-hmm. And then last week we came back and it was just three of us. But now this week we have the full squad here. All so four I'm excited for these two chapters, particularly because they're important chapters. We are spending one of few uh, with Catalan. And then, of course, there are two Sam's chapters. Oh, there's two left. So yeah. we're we're getting down to the final f- two. I was going to say final four, but that would have been wrong. <laughs> Sorry, okay. March is almost here. Yeah. <laughs> College basketball brain fart. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then Sam, we get introduced to a completely new character that didn't make it into the show. So I'm sure we're going to have a lot of discussion amongst ourselves. And then I know a lot of our listeners sent stuff in. So full squad here, myself, Zach, Eric, Kate, and uh, I'm ready to go. Before we begin... Kate was like, you know, uh, I don't think anyone uh, knows who's who. That is totally not what I said because I'm sure everybody who listens to us regularly can tell the difference between our voices. What I said is that I listen to a lot of other podcasts and they always introduce themselves at the beginning of the show. Do you guys think we should do that too? Just in case it's like somebody's first time and they don't know who the hell we are. This one goes out to all you first-timers out there. They all made fun of me. I feel like we consider all of you such close friends of ours for journeying through these books with us, but for those of you that are not sure, my name is Cold Hands. Not helpful, Zachary. Sorry, sorry. I'm Zach. I'm Eric. I'm Kate. And I'm Micah. Thanks for joining us. Micah, you said the word important, and I would agree that is... Totally the word I would use to describe these chapters. I was referring to them in my head of as fear and loathing in Westeros because <laughs> that's all it is. It's just like them being terrified. These are like the, ugh, the two most bum out characters. And I love Sam and I loved him in this chapter. But my God, my day was great until I read these. And now I'm just like, <laughs> what's what's even the fucking point? I have to say, reading, reading Catelyn, I felt a certain peace. I don't know. It's like he's closing her out. You now that you know, or knowing, you know that she her storyline's about to have an end to it. I paid particular attention to what he was doing, and I don't know. I feel like he, in a way, George, um, really just reminds us. He he went through and kind of reminded us what, why she was important, and kind of what purpose she serves to the overall story, and what mysteries that her character arc has had are still out there like the result of Ned's bones. Like, I didn't even know that that was a a question or a mystery until she brings it up in her inner monologue. We find out reading this chapter that uh, Jane did not come with Rob to the wedding, presumably, Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of a major plot diversion from what happens in the show. He mentions that he's been trying to knock her up. He hasn't been able to. (laughs) In the the show, she's very, very pregnant. And in the book before... That plot line was interesting because the 
the assumption was since Jane wasn't at the Red Wedding, could she be pregnant? And Rob wouldn't have known um, before mm-hmm. he was killed. But the show kind of like put an end to that potential um, outcome. All this to say, I think that this chapter is, if if nothing else, it like fills you with false hope. And it's, it builds, it's building, it's building to yeah. so much future plot and like all of their battle plans. And Catelyn's going to go hang out with Jason Malister after the wedding. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't want to. She wants to go back. And you just know this, none of this is going anywhere. It does. At the end, they do have that plans for after, they do have those plans for after the Red Wedding, which is kind of like salt in the wound, knowing that they're never going to be able to, yeah, to do that. I mean, there's a whole battle plan involving uh, the, the, the Krennic men and Hal and Reed. Yeah, that was, that was exciting. There's, there's a lot in this chapter that, that was just points of interest for me. Uh, I, I did a reading for it for the, uh, for the Patreon subscribers. <laughs> yeah. And had a good time going through Rob's lines and had a good time just kind of <laughs> feeling out the situation. And I felt like it was nice. It was like, it was, there was planning. And like you said, it gave me so much hope for the future. And if I would have been reading this, I certainly wouldn't have expected what will happen to happen. Uh, I thought that they were doing all right with what they have so far, you know? Yeah. For me with Jane, it's it's, it's kind of a question. I wasn't worried that she was pregnant because, I don't know, it, it didn't, that didn't strike me as being as possible as the idea that, I mean, her her family is, are Lannister Bannermen. Are they not? The Westerlings are Lannister Bannermen. So this whole time I've been wondering if she's secretly, you know, edging him along towards the wedding. Um, so if she doesn't, you know, come with, it's because maybe her whole family's in on this whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. But we know that she very much wanted to go with Rob and Catelyn was the one who kind of said she shouldn't. And it makes sense, right? Everybody agrees. It makes sense for Walder Frey's feelings that she not show up there. So I don't know. I kind of still feel like that's unresolved as to how many, if any of the men who came or the family who came with Rob uh, from the crag were, there to betray him or not that's the uh, old honeypot theory bex over at watchers has been deliberating on for such a long time <laughs> i mean i'm not sure how it's gonna how it's gonna work out because um the way the the show took it was so vastly different maybe it's a plot line they didn't want to necessarily um give screen time to so they made it go a different route and uh obviously changed things for dramatics sake but who knows how that'll work out i mean they actually make her pregnant do you remember during comic-con when when uh george mentioned the uh jane westerling chapter that's coming up and wins yes i guess that's going to be the uh prologue prologue yes suffice it to say that even though it's not much of a spoiler still a slight spoiler that jane westerling is alive Mm -hmm. in in the books. Uh, and I think maybe we'll get some answers uh, to questions that Eric just raised as it relates to her and her family. Um, certainly there's uh, loyalties that need to be explored. Uh, but at this point, I don't really think that the family has um, you know, implications in what happens uh, at the Red Wedding. I think that is strictly at the hands of Roose Bolton and Walder Frey and Tywin Lannister. Right. Um, but that's just my uh, opinion. Uh, certainly, George can prove me otherwise. Uh, but I, I will say, you know, Zach brought this up and, and it, it is an important point. The show deviates tremendously. Um, and Kate brought this up as well. But 
it's because of just the visualization of all of this, right? The the emotional impact that it's going to have on somebody who's watching the show. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, I don't think for the show's sake it would have made sense to keep Rob's wife, pregnant wife, alive and taken her somewhere else or left her at River Run like they do with Jane here uh, in in this chapter, you know, to have her go with Rob to the twins, to have her murdered, to have her child murdered. Um, I think it just... It, it made the Red Wedding, even for the book readers, that much more impactful and devastating watching it, seeing what was happening uh, to Rob and, and his heir. Yeah. The showrunners could have also been told of the nature of Jane Westerling's plot line later on and, and decided that maybe that was just something that you know necessarily wouldn't make the cut. And so ahead of time, they decided to go the route of Talisa and everything they did with her. Right. To just make it overall more dramatic, like his line ends here. And that's something that thematically is huge in this chapter. Rob's line of succession surrounding not not just the Starks, but Winterfell um, and the Starks, of course, holding Winterfell. And that's a, obviously a big conversation that Rob and Kat uh, talk talk about later. But still on the Westerlings real quick, uh, they mentioned Rolf Spicer, Rolf Spicer. Um, is actually delivering young Martin Lannister to the Golden Tooth for Tywin. And for me, going back to whether or not the Westerlings can be trusted, um, for me, I'm just wondering what is going to happen to Mr. Spicer when he gets there. Because, I mean, he is, he did run off uh, with the King of the North and, and, you know, allowed his daughter to be wed to Rob, the King of the North. And I feel like that, uh, he might be in trouble for that if there isn't, in fact, some kind of subterfuge or some kind of resistance there from the Westerlings. They're going to have to suck up a, a pretty well to the Lannisters if he wants to stay alive. Oh, Rolf. Oh, Rolf. <laughs> the Spicer. They're going to the Twins, and it takes them a long time to get there. I mean, time passages uh, in this book are done really well. I mean, because you get a whole lot of detail, like, on this day, here's every single thing that happened on this day. And then there's just a sentence that says, five days later, here they were, and they were having this argument. And then eight days further, this, that. And it's like, it um, it flows really well, but it doesn't feel like rushing. I don't know, he's a good way of setting the tone. It's just like, these days, all that happened was it rained, and they got a little bit closer. Rob's newly appointed warden of the Southern Marches, Sir mm-hmm. Brendan, right? Yeah. Is is absent. Catelyn's missing him. She's in the midst of this thirty five hundred person strong collection of people. And I wanted to to read this because I thought it was a nice bit of imagery of what's happening behind Glover's screen of scouts. Rob's line of march stretched several miles. The Great John led the van. Catelyn traveled in the main column, surrounded by plodding warhorses with steel clad men on their backs. Next came the baggage train, which is always nice to have when you're traveling. A procession <laughs> of wains laden with food, fodder, <laughs> camp supplies, wedding gifts. And the wounded too weak to walk under the watchful eye of Sir Wendell Manderley and his White Harbor Knights. Herds of sheep and goats and scrawny cattle trailed behind, and then a little trail of foot-sore camp followers. Even further back was Robin Flint in the rear guard. There was no enemy in the back of them for hundreds of leagues, but Rob would take no chances. So interesting, because we think of this group of people so differently than we think of uh, traveling wildlings we met with John or, or the Kalisar when we were traveling with Daenerys. But uh, if, for all intents and purposes, you know, they're... They're all the same kind of people. They're all the same organism. They all need the same thing, and they all have to, mm-hmm. to protect themselves in the same way. And if you, you, I mean, not that this sort of reminder needs to be in place for us to know that everyone is equal, but 
nice little tie into the overarching sentiment of the story, I think, which is we're all in this together and uh, they're, they're getting stuff done. So that's good. Yeah. When they mentioned um, the people who were too weak to walk, who are still in, you know, this garrison, still in this whole group of people who are going to the twins, I was reminded of Daenerys and how she kind of pities those people in her own uh, group, but they, they too travel with them. Can't leave them behind. I mean, you can't. They're your men. They're your people. Now, I, I don't know if there's that many seats at the, the, the twins for the wedding. I mean, they probably can't all witness the wedding itself, but you're kind of going where your host is. And I, I just, I mean, clearly they'll be quartered or whatever, set up tents outside of the main twins like we saw in the show. But uh, it's a lot of people to bring to a wedding. It's a lot of people to to be around when the betrayal takes place. So I'm interested to see how the numbers go into this and what happens. Because the show, obviously, you know, there were shots and it was established that the, the Stark men were taken care of. But I'd like to see how this vast number is handled since we've been given the statistics. Oh, yeah. 3,500, right? Right, exactly. I mean, are, yeah, are 3,500 people slaughtered by, you know, at the hand of the Boltons and uh, the phrase, Or kind of which ones are and which ones aren't. I'm curious. It also depends how many... Uh, those that are going to find Howland Reed take with them, right? Yep. I mean, we don't assume that the full force of Rob's entourage is going to make it to the twins. They're going to go off and you know begin this battle plan that Rob is hoping to see fulfilled after he arrives at the twins and joins his forces to that of Walter Frey's and Bruce Bolton's. So I, I liked, uh, Eric, you were talking about this before, but you know, this slow trek through really rainy weather it's you know damp it's dank it's you know really sort of depressing <laughs> and no no on no surprise it's a catalan chapter but you know <laughs> the fact that she is experiencing this sort of mood and and this is the the overall mood of the lands in which she's traveling it you know you think of the weather and the tie into the rains of castamere and the foreshadowing i was like why can't why can't it be a little brighter for them? And why do the rains keep falling? Yeah, why can't without it? Without <laughs> a soul to hear. Yeah, it's, it's this sort of ominous um, undertone of things to come. You know that nothing good can come of of what lies ahead for Catalan and Rob. And you know, maybe as a first time reader of of the book, uh, you wouldn't necessarily think this way. But you know, obviously having the the show as a reference you can really start to appreciate what was written here and the fact that it's all leading to their, you know, demise. I wonder if this Catelyn chapter is actually the the perfect example of why Catelyn is the way she is. Like if this if this chapter is sort of like the home run of the entirety of the character of Catelyn Stark, because until now, and we've made fun of this many times, she's been such a bummer to read because she's had some serious shit fall on her. So she's depressed beyond belief. <laughs> Most of her kids are either dead or buried off to her enemy. Her husband is dead and she's in a rotten place mentally. She, especially in this chapter, she's like, everyone I love is dead. Um, My son won't talk to me. My brother won't talk to me. Uh, I just like had to float my dad down a river everything is going wrong in Catelyn's life and so up until now every single chapter that we've read 
she's experienced and expressed these feelings of overwhelming dread. And so when it happens in this chapter, it's almost like we've gotten to this saturation point with her where she's like, oh, everything is awful. We shouldn't even be going. It's what if something terrible happens at this wedding? And it's the same. This like you just roll your eyes the first time you read this because you're like, oh, my God, will this woman never stop? You're used to it. But she's right for once. And maybe that's the dread that she's always felt in these books is this like intuitive, like, oh my God, the other shoe's going to drop so hard. Nothing's going to, my my life is just over. Everything's going to be terrible. But, um, so when you read it, when they're on their way to this wedding and she's feeling that dread, you don't think anything of it. You read Rob's battle plans. You're like, that's what's going to happen. None of this, like right. this woman worrying about things all the time and nothing ever happens. I mean, aside from everyone dying and all that, but I wonder if that's if George has like lulled us into this false sense of security to be like, why would you pay attention to her intuitive sense that there's danger? Because she always feels that way. So it's, it's it just occurred to me that it's actually kind of an amazing plot way device. to establish it. Yeah, because we I mean, we, we sort of have grown used to it. And at this point, you know, what what are, what are we to think of now, especially when all the strategery is happening? The fact that we did, we haven't really had the introduction of a plan after we've learned of how hard the circumstances, how difficult the odds that they're facing are. But in this chapter, when Rob calls the leaders of their company and he brings everyone in, including Catelyn, I feel like we we were them as well. Um, but also us were kind of able to walk away from the planning table a little bit more confident than before. Because mm-hmm. Rob has a plan. Exactly. Because all all these people have is faith in their king, whatever small faith that is, as, as Catelyn says early in the chapter. Mm. And it's up to her to help preserve that faith. And so she's not vo- voicing any of her concerns. And she's she's not telling Rob that they should turn back. Like she's she's trying very hard to go with the flow because all of the 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 hopes of the men around her are based in that 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 faith in their king. So she is actually, it reminds me of when, uh, there's, there's sometimes you'll hear these stories coming out of like dog shows where <laughs> it's true. There, there are dogs that are, are behaviorally trained to be so calm around other dogs, but they're, they'll just like, they'll bury their true nature until one day they just freak out and they like rip another dog's ear off or something. They've, yeah, they've been trained to like, because of these shows, they can't freak mm-hmm. out, but then they, they get trained in these messed up ways and then they, they like lose it and they attack another dog out of nowhere. And I feel like that's kind of what's happening here with Catelyn is she's like, she's being trained to like subdue her true nature, to not voice her concerns. And she's never going to get the chance uh, to, to lash out and, and bite somebody's ear off because you know she she's going to get capped before that happens. But um, it's it, it kind of reminds me of that. It's like against against what should be your better judgment, you are shutting down the behavior and nature of this woman who is usually correct and um, has has the ability to sense when things are are going to go poorly. And yeah. so and so because she's so interested in Rob's continued success as king, she's like. Just bite your tongue. Don't don't say what you actually think. One other thing I noticed about her in this chapter, in particular, she's very reflective on the different places that they come across. You know, when they arrive in the Whispering Wood, uh, she remembers that Ned was still alive, and Brandon Rickon were safe at Winterfell, 
and that Theon was an ally of Rob. And then she ponders, well, you know what? What would have happened if Theon had died in place of Lord Karstark's sons? How much different would things be? Right. And, you know, it's always hindsight being 2020, right? Uh, But then, you know, they arrive at Old Stones, and she remembers time she spent there as a child with Peter Baelish. And, you know, it's, it's as you start to put the pieces of the puzzle together, and you realize, you know, not only is she suffering grief for what has happened you know, in in current times, but she's also remembering back to things that have taken place previously. And so if we're to look at that, we almost wonder if, if that in and of itself is a sign that her time is coming to an end. Well, that that to me, too, is what I, I, I when I had said earlier that this feels like the George is writing, wrapping up the character. Mm-hmm. Um you know, he's reminding us which plot lines she served. I mean, she is to this day, as as far as I can recall, the only eye into what Rob is doing or thinking this whole time that uh, the king in the north has had his vie for power and influence. And her mothering of him, which is a major part of this chapter, is, you know, out in full force when she internalizes everything that he does or, or says. Um and, you know, kind of analyzes it. And we're trying to figure out how successful he's going to be at this whole thing based on her thoughts on it. And, you know, that's true this chapter as much as it is any other. But also with Peter Baelish, you know, there are plot lines that are going to out-survive her, uh, which is the fact that Peter Baelish has a crush or is in love with her. And that kind of having this in one of her final chapters that – you know, Peter and her played together as kids in this place where they are now. Um, it's very subtle, but I think it's it's important, and it's kind of George's. He, he's putting these things in here because they matter. And even if she is gone, the world is 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 still there. The world in which those events happened, and Peter will still remember, even if she's not around to remember that time right. that they, 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 they spent here. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like all of this and uh, the whereabouts of Ned's bones. I don't know if that's like a super huge mystery. Mentioned it earlier, but like, I don't know. I, I think it's just somebody I care who is about it. going through an endless amount of grief, just grasping onto anything that she can possibly think about and putting a negative spin on it. You know, or it, it, I would think it would be only natural for her to wonder what happened to her husband's bones. You know, did they make their way to Winterfell? Did they get caught up? somewhere along the way well i wasn't wondering about it until she wondered about it now i really want to know <laughs> it's just like and it's not well, all downers like this good chapter job, Arthur. there are of course mage and darcy mormont who True. i think are like a shining light to know that there's somebody I, what's the line they're more comfortable both as women and warriors than the girl from tarth had ever been i want to know more about these people and cats just riding with them conversing with them during this whole trek of theirs they know who they are if i could cosplay as anybody it would probably be as one of the she bears from Me too. from the mormont family yeah you yeah. Too. i Me think too, i think we'd look we'd be a beautiful pair of she bears i just love awesome. i love this the mental picture of um there's a carving on our gate said daisy a woman in a bear skin with a child in one arm suckling at her breast. In the other hand, she holds a battle axe. She's yeah. a proper lady, that <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, not, that's her. a badass right not there. Not like a so dagger, cool. not like a sword. It's a battle axe. Yeah, yeah. like one-handed? That's impressive. Yep, not that's too like, bad. That's like my D&D character is, like a, is basically Mage this, this Mage Mormont character, yeah. Passage of Time, I feel like, has been thematically integrated into this chapter, and we've talked about it so much, but I feel like... You know, we were we were we were reminiscing on things that have happened in these particular locations with Cat. 
and then we see the grave of Christopher the fourth of his name, King of the Rivers and the Hills, and we go through this sort of paragraphs long uh, story. And I think Micah should should read it because his voice is very pleasant. Yeah, <laughs> go Micah. Here lies Christopher the fourth of his name, King of the Rivers and the Hills. Her father had told her his story once. He ruled from the trident to the neck thousands of years before Jenny and her prince in the days when the kingdoms of the first men were falling one after the other before the onslaught of the Andals. The Hammer of Justice, they called him. He fought a (laughs) hundred battles and won ninety-nine, or so the singers say. And when he raised this castle, it was the strongest in Westeros. She put a hand on her son's shoulder. He died in his hundredth battle when seven Andal kings joined forces against him. The fifth, Christopher, was not his equal, and soon the kingdom was lost. And then the castle, and last of all the line, with Christopher V died House Mud. That's not a cool name. (laughs) (laughs) House Mud. That had ruled the Riverlands for a thousand years before the Andals came. Right, and then Rob goes on to say his heir failed him. Yeah, He runs a hand over the grave, and he's like, I had hoped Uh, to leave Jane with child. We tried often enough, but I'm not certain. That whole his heir failed him. I just couldn't help but think that Rob. I couldn't help but think that Rob was um, reflecting on him failing Ned, in a way. Oh no! Yeah, I was just like, that's totally about him. But then the rest of it is totally exactly Rob because uh, all of these kings or all of these other men are having to band together in order to destroy him. And that's mm-hmm. the, you know the same can be said with this alliance between the Boltons, the Freys, the Lannisters, right. all coming together to unseat. Rob. Yeah, and the and the line that stood out for me was he fought a hundred battles in one ninety nine, mm-hmm. uh, but lost the hundredth. It's only that one that he lost that that mattered, right? In the yeah, end, right? <laughs> Not that the red wedding is really a battle of sorts, right. uh, um, which is one of my pet peeves. I think not just with what happens with Rob and Catelyn, but what happened with Ned as well, in that they're not really able to fight for themselves. And that what that's what really disappoints me more than anything else is we you know if they die in battle it's one thing but the way that they're killed off in this series is Cheap. without honor well without honor but also they kind of bring it upon themselves though we, or at least we've analyzed in the past how their own actions I mean I think with Ned it was to be fair it was more ignorance of just how far people like the comely Cersei Lannister were willing to go. But with Rob, too, it's, you know, he willingly got married to Jane Westerling. And, of course, that leads to this crazy series of events that caused Walter Frey to break the rules of hospitality and kill them. It's true that they don't die in battles, but they also, I don't know, I feel like they could have done better. I want to see them avenged, guys. They are victims. I think both characters are ultimately victims of the world that they're Mm -hmm. in. And then also the line at the very end... um, that the house that had ruled the Riverlands for a thousand years before the Andals came had essentially died out. And it made me think of Winterfell and how long the Starks have ruled there. And mm-hmm. that without Rob, you know, will Winterfell and their hold on the North eventually die out if nobody else from their family is able right. to step in? Or cede, and that's where, cede it to the Lannisters. Worse. Yeah. yeah. Even worse. Yeah. Oh, God. I want to talk about that so bad. Okay, so Catelyn and Rob both think that uh, Bran and Rickon are dead. And they're not sure about Arya. She hasn't been heard from since, what was it, since Ned lost his head. Well, Rob and, thinks she's dead, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rob and Cat having a little argument about this. But basically, I mean, Rob has had to figure out, kind of decide how he, where he wants Winterfell 
to to be placed in in whose hands he wants it to be placed in and his decision is awesome and also the furthest thing from what Catelyn wants to happen i was filled with goose flesh filled with it goose i hope flesh. that you guys shared this sentiment with me when his mind went to john snow here's a guy who can hold no land and rob's just like you know we'll get around that i'm sure that we can just change that rule and John Snow, we're going to legitimize him so he's no longer a bastard, and he's going to hold Winterfell one day. I was like, man, good looking out. He says, like, in case you didn't, rem- in case you didn't, don't remember, mother, my father had four sons. And she's just like, oh shit, here he goes. I think that Roose Bolton has some kind of weird plan when it comes to Arya, and he's like, he's telling Jamie and Brienne that Arya is totally alive and that she's in custody or something. I should go back and find this exact quote, but. If he's still Rob's man and he hasn't told Rob this fact and Rob thinks that Arya is dead, uh, that's an interesting clue to the readers that something is up with Roose Bolton, right? Yeah, because if he knew he was alive and didn't tell or send an owl or send, sorry, it's a raven in this world. Right, yeah. Send send a raven to to Rob Stark right away saying, hey, I hey, saw your, your sister's alive. Your sister. Yeah. Because it influences every decision that he makes. So like line of succession, he's it's supposed to go to Sansa next, but they can't do that because the imp will have it through marriage now. And so the Lannisters will have Winterfell. That would just be like the worst, right? <laughs> it would just be. I still don't know why you guys are talking about all these other people. Can I just can I just say and hear it flow off the tongue and appreciate it? John Stark. John's John Stark. Right. There's well, our answer yeah. right there. They have to legitimize him. I don't know. It's weird because there's precedent. Uh, Rob argues <laughs> that when they tore the white cloak off of Barristan Selmy, he doesn't really follow through though into saying that Barristan now could have land if he wanted it. Rob got in touch with his inner businessman with his mom. He was like, listen, if I go up to the wall with a thousand guys, a hundred guys, 100 50 guys. guys, and I go, I'll give you all these dudes for my brother here. <laughs> they'll be fine with it. I mean, it's a pretty good point. I think it's, I think it's an even trade. Yeah. But also think about like, where's Rob getting those guys? Are they willingly committing themselves to the wall That's because true. their king ordered them to just because he wanted to give his brother a castle? Like it's kind of kind of a bratty king thing to oh, do. It's definitely yeah, it is not kind of a... the most honorable of move for all those yeah. people. But he's thinking about Winterfell. Yeah, he is thinking about Winterfell. He has his heart's in the right place, I guess you would say. But I am worried about how many men he's got because in the very, very beginning of the chapter, we mentioned Jane. Um, apparently doesn't want to leave his side and actually meets up with them about an hour away from River Run. And he sends 12 men back with her to, like, make sure that she goes back and doesn't come back after them. I think that was sweet. Yeah, it's it's adorable. But doesn't he need those men? Like, could those 12 men have made a difference uh, at the Red Wedding? I don't know. What 12 men are they? Well, he went from 3,500 to 3,488. I'm telling you, what if those 12 men were the ones who made a difference, man? They're not. Yeah, I kind of I mean, are, are we at that point where it's just, like, everything, point of no return, like, everything Rob can or will do or can or will plan is just going to fail because enough people yes. have wanted That's him the way dead. It's been designed. Yeah. And knowing what happens when you're reading this, like the whole back half of the chapter is pretty rich with Rob's plans for the future post wedding plans. And it's kind of like you're reading it and you feel hopeless. You're like none of this matters. None of it matters. And it's kind of, it almost like pulls me out to this, this macro view of the whole thing, which is like, None of this matters. This is oh, like, oh man. No, none of our none of our plans, like the the best laid plans of mice and men, 
is kind of like the theme here is like you can plan all you want but life, will uh, life is gonna get in the way yeah and then now we get depressed about life and we're like none of this that's matters. where i'm at thank none you that's all. what i'm yeah. reading i read these two chapters and i was like i'm just gonna go like suck on an ice cube and curl up in a ball and <laughs> think about the futility of existence oh. but yeah i i love the idea that there's this really cool plan and this plot that helen reed can play in um play a part in and it has to do with the iron islands oh because we get that information super important information which has not managed to make its way onto the show yet that Balin Greyjoy is dead the difference between what we heard last week, which was just the fact that he was dead, right. and what we hear this week is the means of death. And my ideas for Balon's um, demise were wrong. I will say, though, it was a very spectacular way that he died. Very spectacular. Trapped on a bridge, which just gave way to the wind. That's very suspicious. Isn't that suspicious? Pike gets this kind of wind all the time. And uh, all of a sudden, the bridge just, yeah, it was such a strong wind. It was a stronger wind than all the winds that had come before for centuries. If you're asking me, I think somebody loosened the ropes a little bit. It could have been like a hurricane or... Oh, I'm sure it was. But, or it could I have mean... been because of the leeches. But Lord Jason Malister does not know. And he yeah. brings this news. And mm-hmm. it's 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 interesting, right? The things that we learn are interesting. And I, I feel like my, my respect for the Iron Islands and all of those who who live in its surrounding areas. They got some stuff going on, and I cannot wait to get to it. We'll have to see, number one, does that letter make its way there, even though what has taken place at the Red Wedding has rendered Rob and his men <laughs> unable to fight, for lack of a better term, I right. guess. But um, you know, it's obviously important for should Howland Reed decide to rally the north at some point who gets to see stone chairs the real question and mm. uh as much as i'd like to throw my hat into the ring i think there may be a little bit of competition i'm going to read this <laughs> snippet from the book it's not victorian galbert glover uh, is very surprised at this news because he is and i wish i could say uh i'm surprised too but i have not met this person and i do not know this person i also do not know the next person who is named euron crozai they call him as black a pirate as ever raised a sail He's been gone for years, but Lord Balin was no sooner cold than there he was, sailing at a lord's port in his silence, which I suppose is the name of his ship, black sails in a red hole, ominous, and crewed by mutes, ominous. (laughs) (laughs) He'd been to his shy and back, I heard. Wherever he was, though, he's home now, and he's marched right into Pike and sat his arse in the sea stone chair and drowned Lord Botley in a cask of seawater when he objected. That was when I ran back to the Miraham and slipped anchor, hoping I could get away whilst things were confused. And so I did. And here I am. So we have this person who is learned, who is hardened, and who is now entering the mix. And uh, I'm interested to see how this all plays out. I think it's going to be awesome. Crew of mutes. Is it just like you get tired of your crew talking back to you, so you cut out all of their tongues? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty, pretty much. That's pretty harsh, but I wouldn't. I mean, if we know if one word describes the Iron Men. And the the land that they live on and are nourished on, et cetera, it is harsh. So there's that. Yeah. And now there's another throne that is going to be fought for, or so it seems, at least amongst the Greyjoy family. Man, uh, those show those showrunners, David and Dan sure knew what they were getting into when they named the whole series Game of Thrones. More games, more thrones just keep coming. Yeah, and and it's not only Victorian and Euron, right? It's 
it Asha has a claim here Potentially. too. Yeah, it's brought up by uh, Galbert Glover, um, you know, saying that she's currently holding Deepwood Mott. Obviously, there's going to have to be some uh, figuring out of who has the rightful claim. One would think, well, it would be Theon, right? That giving the, given the fact that he is the son of of Balin Greyjoy. And the other two are his brothers, and the other is his daughter. I would think that Theon would have the most rightful claim. You know, it's interesting because um, Rob talks about it in this chapter: is that he needs to have an heir, right? Like, what's a king without an heir, without a a child uh, from him? And knowing that it's a little sensitive, the adaptation in the show as to what I mean, what exactly is going to happen with that? Because they haven't really introduced this whole fight for the Iron Throne, or no, the Iron Islands Throne. Seastone Throne, thank you. Um, I believe it's a chair. Seastone Chair. Seastone Chair. Okay, fine. <laughs> Fuck it. Don't care anymore. <laughs> Seeing as how they haven't introduced that whole fight, uh, and we know what happened to Theon's manhood, um, it's going to uh, maybe cause a further um, degree or f- further problem for ascertaining who exactly that throne should go to. But in the show, Bale and Greyjoy are still alive. Right. Using the show for clues might not be the best process. <laughs> no, I don't think so. The chapter ends with, we've referenced this a number of times, uh, this grand plan of Rob's post-wedding uh, at the Twins to take back Moat Caitlin, uh, an, a, a stronghold that has never been taken, uh, by the way. But the plan that he lays out seems to be a pretty good one, and uh, he's looking to dispatch the Mormonts and Glover to go and enact this plan, um, you know, to get Howland Reed involved in the fold, knowing that he is Ned Stark's man. And um, we'll see how it all plays out. The Kranig men will find you. That's good. <laughs> but uh, I will say, Eric, I think, you know, you raised an interesting point earlier. I think it's important, um, you know, the, the fact that Rob wants Jon Snow to be known as his heir. And the fact that this information is traveling to Helen Reed, who is quite possibly the only other person around uh, who knows the truth about who Jon Snow really is. Oh, shit. And the plot thickens, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, shit. Mic mm. drop. Mic drop. I forgot about that little fact there. That little that little gem. Helen Reed is also the person who's most single-handedly invested in the Starks at this point following the Red Wedding. I mean, he sent his two kids... Uh, Mira and Jojen off to basically assist Bran on his quest, which, you know, I believe at least that Helen Reed has a little bit more understanding of how important that quest is. So if there's going to be like a future power player here, it's, it's gotta be, you know, for, for the future, for the fight for the Starks, it's gotta be Helen Reed. I love this guy and we haven't even freaking met him yet. I think he's playing the long game. I think he's, (laughs) it's, it's it's not about, well, that, that also, but it's not about, family allegiances about who's going to do what it's about winter coming it's about these great forces going at war with one another and hopefully saving the populace from imminent doom yeah bum 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 love the reads so north of the wall we travel with sam who is hoping beyond hopes that the place he sees before him the white tree he (laughs) sees before him is a tree he's been before please let this be white tree he says he knows White Tree. He's seen it on the maps he's drawn. And on their escape from Craster's Keep with Gilly and Gilly's baby in tow, um, they do find a place to stay abandoned because the wildlings have gone 
to march with Mance, and they didn't take their houses with them. So how nice for them. At Old Stones, um, Catelyn mentions that, you know, there, you could see where these old buildings used to be, uh, but the people themselves have carried it off to, like, the next town that they built, the next farm that they had to build, somewhere else. And uh, with these wildlings, they didn't even take their, their stones. So... Whatever, it's given Sam some shelter. Yeah, look, I mean, this chapter is not entirely um, filled with action until you get to the latter part of it. I think that, you know, it's just a lot of Sam really just, I don't know, like he's being Sam. I don't know what else to say. Like He's trying, buddy. Is he self-pitying? A little bit. I don't know. Kate said she liked this chapter, though. She gained a lot of respect from him. I did. I like how much... Um... Sam underestimates himself. I mean, it's frustrating at the same time, but throughout this, it's that same, that same thing of like, he accidentally killed that one other with a dragonglass dagger. And so sure, you can write that off. You can be like, I just got lucky. I'm really not that brave, even though I don't <laughs> necessarily buy it. I can see it, you know, but this is a chapter where he's talking to like saying the exact same negative defeating self-talk where he's such a coward and he wish he could be brave literally while he's doing incredibly brave things like he not even i don't know like five pages of this chapter he accomplishes like a dozen incredibly brave things as he's slogging like it starts with him he's he's walking this horse because they tried to ride two to the saddle and it didn't work any out anymore so he's he's walking because he figures it'll be better and he's letting gilly that's brave just by itself He's, yeah, he's his blisters not riding. Blisters. Yeah, like he's he's incredibly selfless and brave already. Mm-hmm. He uh, in the in this battle with the with the whites, he not only uh, attacks Small Paul and like gets attacked back pretty severely, but he's doing it so Gilly can get away on the horse. Mm-hmm. And and then he's he's like he stabs him. He he manages to roll toward this fire, set this white aflame. Like stabs him with two different daggers. I would have simply pooped my pants and blacked out. Like that's, <laughs> well, he did that's that what a coward does. He peed himself. That's not the same. Well, his bladder gave out. Right. Uh, he has to keep. I don't know. You may have been holding it for a while. That could be a uh, side effect of the the magic too. I mean, I I don't know. I feel like it might. No way, dude. It totally could be. It's like unrealistically cold, dude. The tears are are freezing as they're coming out of his eye. And do you think it's because? of uh the normal regular temperature north of the wall or is it 10 or 20 degrees colder because this white isn't there in the presence of this of these people we've we've kind of always been nudged toward thinking that whenever they're around uh, it's even it gets even colder and quieter uh, yeah. except for raven the the random crow uh but there are the random raven but there are um other context clues too like other literary clues where it's like the hairs on his arms stand up, right? And well, how about the fact that the werewood that he comes across, the eyes were weeping blood. It, that, that's a definitely a, a bad sign of things to come. I guess that's true. That is, I want to say, my favorite part of the chapter is when he goes to the tree and asks for help. It's a very humble moment. Obviously, he said, you know, he says out loud, "I don't know what gods I believe in, but if you're there, can you help us?" You know, she she has a baby. Can you help? Well, it clearly. Somebody was listening. Right. You know, we, we had a chapter earlier uh, last week, I think it was, with Jamie, right, when he puts his head down on the weirwood tree yeah. and he has a really strange dream. Um, and I think Sam, you know, while his head isn't on top of a weirwood tree, 
Uh, we know that there's one in the area, and he has a relatively strange dream as well. I'm going to read the passage here, but it says, his dreams were strange that night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that <laughs> seals it. That, that, I know. It's uh, a sure thing now. <laughs> Good he passage. was back at Horn Hill at the castle, but his father was not there. It was Sam's castle now. Jon Snow was with him, Lord Mormont too, the old bear and Gren and Dolorous Ed and Pip and Toad, and all his other brothers from the watch. But they wore bright colors instead of black. <laughs> Sam sat at the high table and feasted them all, cutting thick slices off a roast with his father's great sword, Heartsbane. <laughs> there were sweet cakes to eat and honeyed wine to drink. There was singing and dancing, and everyone was warm. When the feast was done, he went up to sleep. Not to the Lord's bedchamber, where his mother and father lived, but to the room he had once shared with his sisters. Only instead of his sisters, it was Gilly waiting in the huge soft bed, wearing nothing but a big shaggy fur, milk leaking from her breasts. I just imagine all of the brothers of the Night's Watcher in like rainbow or like Technicolor Dreamcoats or something in this crazy dream sequence of sam's i mean i thought he was onto something there because i thought it was like a prophetic future dream when it was like john is with him at this place where he grew up and i'm like oh john does get legitimized and it's like totally able to go to other towns and have feasts in their castles but then it says mormont's there and i'm like oh wait we saw him die never yeah. mind yeah um, i like i think this is this dream could mean a couple things it could mean nothing it could just be like sam's you know desperate power fantasy but I, I like to think that it speaks to this desire of his to protect everyone that he cares about under his own roof. Like right. he's, he's the Lord of the house. Here's everyone he's ever loved who may be dead, who may be alive. And he's the one feasting them and carving up this roast. And like they're, they're all safe and protected because of him. All he wants is a Griswold family Christmas. And a family Truxler as well to get him back <laughs> to the wall. They're struggling with the fire. They're struggling with keeping the horse inside. It's just for our third chapter of Sam, you know, he, like like Kate said early on, he has just been so tough. And because of the way he's describing his own situation and him himself inside of the situation, I feel like we're not necessarily given the notion that he's kicking ass. But in reality, he is. Like, they made it out. He's got Gilly. He rescued the girl and her son. And uh, when when the crap hits the fan, when he wakes up and the white version of Small Paul comes, he stands up and he does what he has to do. He tries the dragon glass, but it breaks on the mail. He actually tries to shout at him first. He yells at him to go away. Yep. <sighs> Which I just love. That's look. He's the he's like a scientist, man. He's he's making all the hard experiments here. Because you don't know, it, like the, the knowledge on how to defeat these guys or how, like, can they be reasoned with is a legit, like, hypothesis, right? He has to test it. He has to try it once. He has to try and reason with this creature who's lumbering toward him. Uh, and he appeals to him. He says, like, you carried me. You're the only one who could ever have done that. You're awesome. I love you. And it doesn't work. But he tried. It's like when Indy drinks the taint of blood. We're trying to like, guys, I know it's in there somewhere. I know you're in there. Uh, yeah. And it uh, doesn't necessarily work. But, I mean, he rolls toward the fire, like she said, and he, he's getting stuff done. He picks up that hot-ass log. And yeah. I can't help but think if, if, this all, if this all works out and there are people left to, to tell the story of what happened, Samuel Tarley is going to go down as a legend 
in this world. Yeah, Sam the Slayer. Yeah, for all he is he a did. legend. He is a legend, exactly. But I mean, uh, a walking I legend. Lots of lots of songs and lots of praise. It's so interesting to listen to him think back on all of these different experiences that he had as a kid because he certainly doesn't think of himself as anything. Even still, you know, mm-hmm. being Sam the Slayer, he still reflects on situations that he went through as a child with his father and how basically his father wanted nothing to do with him. He's like, you want to sing? Go sing with your sisters or, you know, go hang out with your mom. Like, I don't want you basically tainting my son. Like he doesn't even really think of Sam as his son. He thinks of, is it Dickon? Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Dickon. As that's who he believes is his true heir. And it's just, it's sad to, to see this. That that this is how Sam remembers, you know, Randall Tarley, and you know we haven't really met him all that much. I don't think in the series yet. You know, we've heard mention of him, but that this is this is how this man treated his son, and yeah. I don't know. It it makes me sad a little bit. I like Sam. Well, Sam has earned his father's respect, and it, it is all right if he hasn't gotten confirmation of that exterior wise. He knows it within himself, even though he doesn't quite. Uh, acknowledge it. It's there. We all know. The four of us and all of you listening and all of you that have read and seen, we know. And uh, for all the things that happen next, this is something that I have been supremely excited to talk about. Just really looking forward to to this entire situation. And uh, I can I just say that if I would have seen this adapted in the show, this would have been one of my favorite uh, sequences yeah. ever. You like, think? Holy shit. Wow. We, I, I think I can speak for all of us book readers. When, when we say that we were a little disappointed. <laughs> so they just merged. They merged the two encounters, right? Because the, the crows were all in the White Walker scene instead, in the trees. Or were they also there in the book? No, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they, they chase Sam away and Gilly away after he kills the White Walker with the dragon glass. So, the, so they – yeah, essentially what you said is true. They merged the scenes together, but there were no – no mention obviously of this character right and in this in the book it's it's really a a tough lesson for sam because he did manage to grab a second dagger right he grabbed uh old bear's dagger uh from his corpse but it shatters it breaks and this is because here you have a possessed undead creature who is wearing mail and it's just like any glass dagger would it it breaks on it and this is it's a lesson because it's it's this guy is tougher even though he's not a white walker he's just a white but because he's armored it changes the dynamic entirely you can't just i mean of course sam could have like tried to slit his throat i'd be interested in knowing you know if the uh if the dragon glass really will affect whites the same way it does white walkers we may never know um because it hit you know it stopped on his mail but at the same time sam is forced to use other means he's forced to resort to other means he ends up what getting a, a a log or a, a small you know a, a medium sized stick that's on fire and shoving it down literally down small Paul's throat uh, to get him to catch fire it's crazy like it's it's actually really like daring and exciting but he nearly dies doing it and this it's not going to get any easier for Sam it's not going to get any easier for the men of the the Night's Watch in general I think is is what I take away from reading this scene because it's not fair. I mean what if you get tw- what if you get white uh, white walkers that are armored <laughs> it's just like it's gonna that's gonna be worse it's gonna be worse and worse and worse because this is just a white this is just small paul he knows this guy he still owed he still owed him money at the time he died but uh 
it's it's not easy. You ruin it. I don't know how else you'd come by dragon glass. So Sam ruined <laughs> this dagger. From dragons. One from less dragons. dragger. One less dragon. dagger in the world. If you have a dragon, perhaps you do not need dragon glass. Yeah. Just Maybe. feed him some cayenne pepper. It'll be good. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen this adapted. I would have loved to have seen it because it was terrifying. He handles small Paul. And he goes out to be like, Gilly, I did it. You're safe. You know, she's already walked the Garen outside. Uh, well, well, I say walk. She probably at least had a soft jog, got out of there while he was fighting the, the undead person. Um, so he crept to the door. The air was so cold that it hurt to breathe, but such a fine sweetheart. He ducked from the long hall. Gilly, he called. Gilly, I killed it. Gil. She stood with her back against the werewood, the boy in her arms. The whites were all around her. There was a dozen of them, a score, more. Some had been wildlings once and still wore skins and hides, but more had been his brothers. So there's a shit ton of, of whites out there now. He saw Lark the Sisterman, Softfoot, Riles, Chet's there. Uh, there's just a whole bunch of people, and they Prologue had torn Chet. the poor Garrett apart and were pulling out her entrails with dripping red hands. Pale steam mm. rose from her belly, and he goes, it's not fair, and then a raven lands on his shoulder. And it starts talking to him, starts saying, fair, fair, you know, like uh, corn. And he, he goes on and it's the whole thing. But this is the really interesting part. And I just, I, I'm not sure how this hasn't been brought up in some way uh, through the cracks over the past few years of us doing this show. But the ravens flew out of the werewood, hundreds of them, thousands, and started fighting all of the whites, tearing at their skin and not attacking Gillian Sam. I don't know where you and Kate are on this, but to me, this says a lot of things. I think he, it's related to our elk riding friend. Yeah. Is he like an emissary of the same intelligence that is controlling these birds right now? I wish that I knew. Mm-hmm. What if the birds are the souls of past Men of the Night's Watch? I was just thinking they're defending. I don't know. I was just like, well, how do they? Because the bird's on his shoulder. It's saying go. It's telling Sam to go. It tells yeah. him to go. Sam to go. But do you think I, that that's a warg? Do you think that each one of these birds could be being warged into from some location, some other presence, or a, a thousand other people at the moment? No, I, I think mean, they're smart, though. I, remember, Mormont's too. bird can talk. Right. Okay. There's because there's something to give this. Give people the cue to escape from a bunch of undead, though. Exactly. There's there's something to this, though. Yeah. Whether it's whether it's a great a greater power that's that has to do with what we what we've seen so far in the show with the tree. Whether that power is like you said, Eric, maybe doing like one mass warging. Or, you know, I, it wouldn't necessarily be warging, I guess, if it's not from one organism to another. Whether it's you know they're just using the crows because it's handy. You know, obviously there's some sort of imagery that that aligns those birds, those particular birds, with this particular tree, with this particular place, with this particular region. At the yeah, at this at this particular time, Sam's... while magic is coming back and fighting these particular enemies in this particular way, there's something more here. There's a handful of options. And whether it's whether it's the man that we meet on the elk or whether he's being driven by the same sort of power, it's interesting. But there's clearly something more here because there there are there are ravens helping Sam, telling Sam to get away from all of the whites, which are clearly the enemies of whatever is happening here. So there's yeah. there's a lot happening. Yeah, there's there's a lot to theorize about. Definitely, I think that you know going back to earlier in the chapter we talked about you know Sam praying at the werewood and asking for help and 
he ends up getting it at the end of this chapter. So right. by what means is his prayer being delivered or being communicated to whomever is basically pulling the strings here to Zach's point? You know, clearly there's something or somebody else that is having influence over what happens at the end of this chapter. Um, I, I feel like, you know, to the point that you made that this person that we meet is merely only acting on behalf of somebody else or something else. You know, he, he's there to help out Sam and help out Gilly and same thing with, with the Ravens. Like they're acting based on something exactly. that's powering them to do uh, this. Can I just say, I think it's the children. I just, I really think that it's the, I think that is, there's evidence in the chapters to, to suggest that it is all, the children also. What's the um, evidence? The, the children, evidence. though, Eric, at the same time, are are just kind of a personification of just the of the history that's been handed down. Like we, there's, I feel like there's so much in the backbone of what's happening here, and just in the previous chapter, we've been given the perspective of how long this 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 place has lasted, and how much further before that it, it went, and probably how much further beyond all of this it will happen, and maybe one day they'll look back and and there won't be magic again, and they'll be seeing. And, and singing songs of what happened here and it won't be as much but we're living in it now and there are, there are hundreds thousands of birds fighting undead people this is huge yeah. i mean this is this is larger than than anything that we've seen this is larger than a shadow baby this is this is a a big deal and it's sam that's in the middle of it i mean it's 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 just, there's a lot here there's a lot happening well, well there were there were real children like there were these these people who looked like children to the first men who came to westeros and we learn in this chapter through Sam's song that the old gods, the seven, the seven are part of, or they exist for the children. I mean, Sam's song talks about how each of the gods right. relates to the children, which is, come on, it's not just clever wordplay. Like that is also the children, the children. The mother, the father, all these caretakers of the children. Caretakers of the children. Yeah. They protect them. They guide them. Uh, Everything but the stranger gets a, oh. a verse in the song about how they mm. deal with the children. So I feel good. like Sam is asking the old gods for help or the seven for help. And then he sings a song about how the seven are all about the children and all for the children. They're, they're really the children's gods, um, which is, of course, why the first men and men like uh, the Starks still worship them. Um, you know, to know that they they get called on to perform and then they show up and perform. And I know you guys said not to use the show to <laughs> help influence my guessing. But I mean, the, the when Bran's storyline in, in the finale or in the uh, yeah in the finale episode where there's that person who appears to be a little girl, um, you know, in the the heart tree or the tree up north, and there's the I mean that is pretty much the my only example of what a children would look like or where this power is all coming from. I feel like it's the I feel like it's that power. The old gods inhabited the, the land, and when they left, they left their children and watched over them. And it's become what it's become. Can I just say too, like this tree reminds me of like an old Dharma hatch that just hasn't been used in a while, but like the camera still works. Like if you're in the Pearl Station, you can still look over and see what's going on in there. That's it's just like somebody was watching uh, the TV and was just like, oh, Sam's calling on us. We got to go send somebody. But the only person they could send is this this guy who shows up. But uh, birds fly faster than he rides his elk. So that's why they could send 100,000 birds or whatever. And just this one guy. But I feel like they're all for the same purpose. Shall we finally, finally meet this person? I know Mike is on, <laughs> on Tinderhooks right now. Here's the scene. Um, 
Gilly and Sam are running per the instruction from Mr. Bird. And uh, (laughs) all of a sudden he hears, brother, the shout (laughs) cut through the night. (laughs) The shout cut through the night. Brother. Through the shrieks of a thousand ravens. Beneath the trees, a man muffled head to heels in mottled blacks and grays sat astride an elk. Here, the rider called. A hood shadowed his face. He's wearing blacks. Sam urged Gilly toward him. The elk was huge, a great elk, ten feet tall at the shoulder, with a rack of antlers near as wide. Look, it's it's an impressive elk, but can we just talk about how easy it is to win Sam's favor? You just have to be wearing grays or blacks and not be, like, visibly undead to get him to take this woman and her child straight towards you. The creature sank to his knees to let them mount. Here, the rider said, reaching down with a gloved hand to pull Gilly up behind him. Then it was Sam's turn. My thanks, he puffed. Only when he grasped the offered hand did he realize that the rider wore no glove. His hand was black and cold, with fingers hard as stone. Finally, we get to meet the ten-foot elk. Finally. (laughs) Is this the character that was cut that had everybody pissed off? The elk. Thrandil was saddened <laughs> to know that his elk ran away to another it's, it's story. A, it's a pretty impressive elk. It's a pretty yes. impressive creature. Oh, so here it is. A brother of the Night's Watch. Or at least that's what he refers to Sam as, right? He calls him brother. Oh. They first meet, and we are left with this puzzling character at the end of the chapter who is not wearing gloves in the freezing cold. And his hands are black and cold. <laughs> Kate's just giggling. Let's call. Let's just. Can we just refer to him as black hands, just to like make things? <laughs> I think that's mm-hmm. probably wise. Yeah. Black How about hands. cold hands? <laughs> All right, fine. Black hands. It's a little on hands. the nose, don't you think, Micah? <laughs> as far as name names go. I just want to say, listeners, we've arrived to a point. Uh, I mean, this is. This is a massive deviation. This clearly is one of our heroes meeting someone that is not human anymore, at least. Yeah. This is something. Or maybe, maybe he was like, maybe his hands are as far as it got. I was thinking like Dumbledore, he just stopped the curse or whatever in its tracks. And he's got, he doesn't really have the use of his hands. I mean, he has the use of his hands, but like not quite like before. Now he doesn't need to wear gloves. And he's got a badass elk, too. I assume he can still, like, grip a sword or whatever. But at the same time, maybe not, because he doesn't wear gloves. I don't know. It's just like his skin would necrose and fall off if it weren't magically altered. Exactly. I mean, clearly, clearly we've... Yeah. I I don't even know where to go from here. I mean, this is just... Well, we've entered into another area because what we know is that we have White Walkers who are these magical beings. Mm -hmm. We have whites who are zombies for lack of a better term. Yeah, Normal people turned or who've died and then are reanimated. Right. But clearly here, uh, and important to mention though, that they cannot be reasoned with. Right. Yeah. Um, As we saw earlier in the chapter. And they don't speak. And they don't speak. So now this is a different um, type of being because this person can speak um, clearly, they're not at least a full-blown white, you know. They because even though he appears to be dead, he, he isn't 
Because he functions like a normal human being. Maybe the children gave him a bracelet, a wristband. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's clear, you know, we obviously got a lot of feedback from listeners about this, um, but we will be seeing him in the future. Uh, you know, the next Sam chapter, I'm sure he'll make an appearance. Uh, so we'll we'll get a little bit more information, hopefully, on him and what he's all about. But uh, I think... Uh, it's safe to say that we can give our odes now, right? For the oh yeah, for the Catalan chapter. Mm, I look forward to when we can learn more about this person and uh, bring in some of the great correspondence that you all have sent. We will be saving it, and we will be expecting much more. Isn't it weird though? Oh yeah, for you guys at least. I mean, to meet somebody who has not been a part of the show and who is a character that has gotten a lot of buzz, at least amongst you know the fan community, both. When they was when he was omitted from the show, and and but also, you know, there's a lot of theorizing about this character. Um, most of that theory was laid to rest recently by George R. R. Martin, in terms of who he really is. Right. As far as owns go, here I'm gonna give mine to the she bear on the gates of uh, Bear Island for obvious reasons. I mean, Kate pretty much said it. It's this really badass character. Um, or a person who she once was, who has a child in one hand and a battle axe in the other. Yeah. Um, nothing for me owned more than that in that chapter. My own goes to Howlin' Reed for being <laughs> the linchpin of a king's entire war strategy. Sounds like a guy you can depend on. My own goes to Catalan. Sorry, Eric. Yeah, that's okay. She, you don't have many opportunities to do that. In the future. But why? But why, Micah? Oh, don't I? No, but why? She has a line. Uh, she actually has a whole paragraph, but I'm not going to read it right now. I'll just read the last line. Only an evil rain would chill our hearts when most we need them to burn hot. She's calling the rain evil. Not a soul to hear. My she next just sees own. doom everywhere. <laughs> that must be. That was actually from her first chapter in the series, <laughs> not from this one. <laughs> nice. Um, this is difficult um, because there's a few different Mormons in this chapter. Yeah, that's true. So I'm just going to have to go ahead and give it to all of them. Yeah. Uh, specifically Mage uh, for just being her and for mm. birthing uh, uh, the people that she birthed and for being the person that she is. I think her story about when the men go away to fish and to do things and them constantly having, having to deal with the raiders from the Iron Islands uh, is great imagery and setup to explain the kinds of people that they are. And uh, they've seemed very hardened and respectable. And I would enjoy their company. So there's the own. And now Sam will. And now we go to Sam. I'll go first Sam. again. My own goes to the raven on small Paul's shoulder. <laughs> just just peeking, peeking away at Yeah, just eating, just having a feast. It's just like I found me this undead uh, animated corpse that I'm just going to eat away at. While he's, you know, trying to kill people and all this stuff, I'm just going to keep pecking at his face and eventually there'll be nothing left, but I'm going to be a big fat bird. So yeah, my own goes to that, that little raven. Not bad. I think the own for this chapter should go to Samwell, but uh, <laughs> in any other reasons. situation, yeah, I mean, in any other situation, if had he not been upstaged by cold hands, um, Sam would have gotten the own, but my own goes to cold hands. Well, for what? For for saving their bacon. For just being there, for existing. He does yeah. offer a getaway. He does offer a getaway. But that's about all he does. We don't really hear. I mean, I was a little upset because there was this hype about this character being introduced. And he just kind of, I mean, we'll learn more about him. My own goes to the elk for supporting yep. Sam's weight. <laughs> mm, yeah. Uh, 
My own also goes to the elk for <laughs> for just being the elk. Just being the yeah. elk. Zach has been texting us about this elk all day, so this yeah. comes as no surprise. Elk fever. I'm, I'm sorry to be so obvious, but I, I would feel wrong giving the own to anything else. I mean, the Ravens were awesome. The whole situation was just a really well put together scene. Just all of it, you know. There was action, and then we felt a little bit of relief because he took care of what happened inside of the hall. And then he steps outside, and there's it's just like surprise. There are fifty more. Yep. And it's it's even worse. So just in general, um, I mean, if I could give another secondary own just to the chapter, I, I thought it was excellent. And the fact that we got introduced to such an interesting character that says brother to a brother of the Night's Watch, which opens up so many doors. What if what if he's Dickin? What if he's actually Sam's brother? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He aged quite a bit. Then. Yeah. He may he may have. Right in, ladies and gentlemen. Tell us. Tell us if you think it's Dickin, Sam's I would, brother. I would love to hear everybody's theories about who they think Cold Hands is. Yeah. So a number of people did write in, in addition to the owns that we gave. We got owns from our many thousands and thousands of listeners, but only have time for a few here today. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you to those of you who did write on. Uh, Twitter is a good vessel for some of those words. And here's a note from Susan Stacy, who writes in regularly. Thank you, Susan. She says, Catelyn, Rob owns this chapter by plotting, planning, and general kingsmanship. So much potential. So much I agree. Potential. He does agree. have a lot of potential. I agree so much. He's a beautiful man. Not Dan H says, Benjamin Stark gets the own wherever he is. <laughs> oh, Where is he? I don't know. I think he's dead. I don't know. I think he's possible. Dead. He's either dead think or he's, he's Dario. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that. That that's an interesting. Dad. I've heard that. <laughs> he's Dario. At this point, the actor who played Benjamin uh, in the first season may come back as Dario in the next. We never sure. know. Sure, may as we well. Never know. That's funny. We also heard from Ujwal, who says own goes to Rob for his incredibly intelligent handling of the Westerlings. Did he handle them or did they handle him? I don't know dum, if I would dum, call dum. him incredibly intelligent when it comes to anything about the Westerlings. Like he's doing damage control pretty masterfully, but I support you as well. He's very intelligent. Uh, Roshni B <laughs> says own to Rob for paying his respect to the great Kings who came before him. Kingly thing to do. That's a, that's a fine quality that he has. Oh, and uh, also owned to Sam for being smarter than he gives himself credit for and remembering whites are clumsy and slow. And flammable. <laughs> and flammable. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he is able to completely change the uh, the weight, you know, where his weight, he shifts weight and then causes small Paul to stumble. So Dr. Beth Meyer writes on, she says, anyone who rides an elk gets my own. Yes, yes. I just want to say yes. I've seen bull elk casually face down people in cars. <laughs> <laughs> they, they give no Fs about us humans. That's just one of the... I want to frame that own on my wall. That's one of the most yeah, beautiful things ever written to us. I've seen bull elk one. casually face down people in cars. In cars, yeah. <laughs> she also writes, Also, if autumn's in Westeros last a year or so, is it elk mating season that whole time? If so... Our writers better have earplugs. Oh, my God. Wow. Well, where there's one, there's another. Do you think there's a big old girl elk waiting for that elk when he gets home? Hopefully. I hope so. It appears that our excitement has put our recording over schedule, and the celebratory dinner bell rings for one of our associates. Ring, ring. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. I'll read your owns for you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, bye. See ya. We also had a number of you scroll on our wall. Uh, Facebook.com slash Game of Owns. The first comes from Heather B., who says, 
Cold Hands owns because the TV show could not handle his level of sheer awesomeness. Ooh. I like that. I like that. We heard from Anthony Runyon, who says Catelyn Owen goes to Barristan Selmy for ending the Targaryen feud that lasted for five generations. Secondary Owen goes to Rob for actually being smart in the book and not only leaving his wife at Riverrun, but also seemingly legitimizing John and naming him his heir. I wonder what future implications this will have. Dun, 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 dun. Anthony also says from Samwell, uh, the own ghost of the Ravens. Not only did they save Gilly and her son, but also help lead them to the introduction to a character long missed from the show. Not bad. One of our glittering council members, Simon says, get it. Own to Sam the Slayer, Sam the Brave, for defeating the undead Smallpaw in single combat with only a smoldering hot coal. Smallpaw, <laughs> who in life was strong enough to carry Sam, no small feat. Uh... Nicely done. He also says, Own to King Rob for his brilliant strategic mind. If not for the Red Wedding, I can't help but feel that the North would have been saved. A king indeed. Those are yeah, good that's, owns. That's, that is a good point, too. These are so well written. Aren't they like yeah. I, I read through some of these and like damn like people took some time to write these and I think like the shit owns that I give during the chapters. I like all of your owns. Next own comes from Christina Klein who says, "Oh my uncle Benjamin, maybe <laughs> what cold hands you have." <laughs> Interesting. Own to the ladies of House Mormont for being comfortable with who they are as warrior women. That's right. You know, own to Small Paul since, for once, Sam has no time to think or pray or be afraid. I like that from Christina. And another council member, Kim, writes and says, First own goes to the opening of the Catelyn chapter. It's very sweet and tone setting, and it is eerie in comparison to the show version. She does not know about Talisa's fate. Mm. Second own goes to Sam's prayer. He is honest and straightforward, and he thinks mostly of help to protect Gilly and her son. Sam is a really great husband and a father taking care of his family. Oyson Doyle says, my own for the Catlin chapter goes to Cat for the line, King Crabs, I hope to sup on such royal jelly. Mm, delicious. <laughs> I agree. That's that's a pretty great one. Uh, and my own for the Sam chapter goes to Cold Hands because Cold Hands! Yeah. Yeah. I have okay. to. People yeah, really I like this that character. Sentiment. Yeah. We have yet well, to really not to like. <laughs> well, we have yet to really meet him properly, but. That's true. Well, we got a brief introduction. We didn't even know his name yet, that's but apparently everybody does. Everyone knows his name. <laughs> so he uh, tells them to cold. call him Cold Hands? But we'll have to wait and see. Mm. Uh, Tim Mulligan writes in to say, Own to Rob. Rob for his awesome yet unfortunately doomed strategy. And of course, own to Cold Hands <laughs> for saving the day and for being one of the great mysteries of this series. A mystery made even more confusing by his absence from the show. However, our love for Jeff Lightfoot, the social studies department chair, is no mystery. He says, Carlton own. What is that? <laughs> Autocorrect <laughs> just on you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I recognize an iPhone autocorrect because. That is totally what it auto-suggested my when I was taking notes. I typed Carl Catelyn. Carlton owned Carlton to the mere mention of Howland Reed. If I were granted one wish, it would be a point-of-view chapter from him. Sam owned to the raven on Sam's shoulder. Go, go, go. Finally, a bird that says something useful. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Thank you, Jeff, as always. Thanks, Jeff. And we also uh, had a few of you write in via email, contact at gameofowns.com. The first from Max Grozowski. Great name. Who says, hey, Goo, big fan of the show, but I almost never send in owns. Well, we're glad you did, Max. We're glad you did. I'm making an exception for this chapter. Ooh. Mm. 
own to the mysterious elk rider for scaring the shit out of me with his cold black hands. Unbowed, unbent, unsullied. Keep up the good work, Max. Mm. Thank you, Max. Unsullied. Like Max Does this hasn't mean, read ahead. Yeah, Max is reading with us. I like that. I like it too. As a remedy to cold hands, cold hands, we heard from Mike Burns, who via email sent us a message that said, Catelyn totally owned Ed Muir in front of all of his buds. <laughs> if they were kids, he would have shoved her in the mud and walked away stomping his feet. I love Ouch. how there's a reference to mud, and it's unintentional. Uh, also, Sam Sam owned the white as much as Gilly's nipple owned Sam. Okay. He blushed. He did blush. I guess his cheeks did burn, so... Balor Morg own is... <laughs> all men must own... Mike of House Burns. Thank you, nice. Mike. All of you listening know what to do if you're interested in joining the conversation. You tweet at us at Game of Owns or over on Facebook. You can scroll upon our wall, facebook.com slash Game of Owns. Or you can email us at contact at Game of Owns. Com. We encourage you to join us in this experience. It is a very, very exciting time, as we mentioned last week, and the community. We have Season 5 building up ever so soon as the days progress. There are news of stirrings in the East, whispers of a nameless fear that approaches. And uh, I don't know, we're just this, we're just feeling good. The, the clock's ticking, the chapter's rolling by, and uh, there's a lot of mysteries that we're excited to spring upon you. It's going to be a lot of fun, as you mentioned, as we head towards Season 5. We're not that far away, actually. We're just uh, over a month out, which is crazy to think wow. about. Yeah. And uh, who knows? There might be a few of us, uh, perhaps, that get to see things early, right, Zach? Isn't that how it works? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, yeah, all the hype that comes with the start of season, and uh, we know that uh, Game of Thrones and HBO will do a lot of really cool things for fans and we're excited to see uh new trailers too because you know let's face it we've only gotten one so far with the imax screening that's true and we know that uh usually we get a few more before all is said and done uh you know one place uh, we haven't been on this show in quite a while is itunes um where you can rate and review the show um it is the probably going to be the uh the last time we do this show in february right um so with that said, nothing less than five stars is acceptable <laughs> in this month. Uh, I don't think I've said that at all this month yet, uh, so I feel very comfortable in putting that out there. But you know, certainly one way you all can leave us feedback in addition to all the outlets that Eric mentioned is on iTunes. Um, it really helps us out as we get closer to season five. A lot of other people will be searching for Game of Thrones on iTunes to get some additional content you know they 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 just can't get enough game of thrones and we always appreciate being at the top of that conversation so your ratings and reviews can help us out there we have a bunch actually we haven't gotten to yet but we'll save them for uh for next week's episode and if you're among those interested in extra game of owns content it can all be found at patreon.com slash we of course really appreciate the support that we get uh from listeners uh through patreon and i'm actually really looking forward to recording uh, the Sam chapter that we just uh, talked about earlier in the episode and putting it up there. There's really just uh, a lot of great content that goes up. And each month we do a little get together with our small council and uh, we get to actually see what, not just what the other hosts look like, because let's 
face it, we've met in person before. We know what each other looks sure, like. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah sure. but we get to see what our listeners look like. We get to talk to them live, and it's it's a lot of fun. Um, we really enjoy it. Last time I was dancing with my dog on camera. There's lots of yeah. lots of good stuff. That Strike is such a freaking. He's a pretty guy. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, no, it, it's a great. Um, it's really uh, a lot of fun. Um, we enjoy doing that, and uh, we hope you enjoy the additional content. So check us out over there, patreon.com slash goo. So guys, from here on out, we're sticking with the Starks from now until the time of the Red Wedding. The next two chapters are Arya and John. John's a Stark, or he will be soon, right? Maybe. Yeah. Only five chapters to go. Zach. Eric, my friend, you are correct. Arya and John await us in the next week. Also, our own battle strategy in relation to the remainder of A Storm of Swords and the quickly approaching Season 5. We know you're excited. We're excited, too. For now, my friends, I fear we've run out of time. Make like the crow says. Go! Go! Go!